Welcome to the Democracy Dispatch podcast. I'm Justin Marsh, political director at Vermont Conservation Voters. This is your weekly scoop on legislative action as we work to push forward environmental policies for Vermont. Each Monday, we will take a look back at the week prior, preview the week ahead, and speak with legislators and advocates on topics affecting our air, water, open space, and quality of life. On today's episode, we have a conversation with Representative Dara Torre of Moortown about a bill that would update Vermont's renewable energy standard. Later, I chat with Senator Ginny Lyons and Representative Esme Cole, two trailblazing legislators on opposing ends of the age spectrum who bridge wisdom and progress to hear about their perspectives, their path to politics, experiences with ageism, and priorities for the rest of the session. But first, I want to bring on Lauren Hurl, Executive Director of Vermont Conservation Voters, into the fold for our session shakedown segment. It's where we recap the last week in the Statehouse and give a preview of what's in store. All right. Hello, Lauren. We are recording a bit earlier than normal. We're uh, coming to you on a Thursday morning, so things will probably change in status by the time that folks are hearing this on the podcast. But Let's chat anyway. Uh, we saw continued markup of the climate resilience bill. Where Where's that at? Yeah, so that bill is uh, continuing to get worked on in Senate Natural Resources. Uh, so they're working through, um, you know, in particular, the section on how we manage development in river corridors and flood hazard areas. Um, so we're not putting new development in harm's way. Uh, but that bill... We're anticipating that um, there should be a vote sometime within the next week or so on moving that forward is the hope. So they continue to just kind of hash out the final details on that. So that's looking very promising. Awesome. And uh, Act 250 reform is being worked on in both chambers. Yeah, many committees are looking at this issue. So both taking the work that was done off session from the Natural Resources Board and stakeholders and, you know, really just grappling with how does the legislature take serious action on the housing crisis. So unsurprising that many committees would have an interest in looking at how we can move that forward. And it's going to be a bit of a moving target as multiple committees are passing kind of their flavors of that reform um, and action. And so we're trying to just do our best to... uh, to weigh in with as many folks as possible on how to make sure that we're doing that in smart growth ways. Awesome. And we saw a bill on the banning of neonicotinoid pesticides being introduced in the House Committee on Agriculture, Food Resiliency, and Forestry. Uh, What's that bill looking like? That bill's getting some great momentum. we saw some folks in bee costumes around the state house this week who were drawing attention to it uh, in their own way, which was fun. Um, but yeah, there's uh, especially after New York State passed their very similar legislation, I think the bills picked up more momentum than maybe even some of the advocates would have anticipated before the session started. Just a lot of interest in how to get those harmful pesticides uh, out of Vermont landscape. So it's great. Yeah, and we saw bee costumes. We saw even a penis costume. What's that about? 
<laughs> yep. So th- this is the second year in a row we've we've had an appearance. Uh, so that was another group uh, drawing attention to PFAS issues and the fact that um, those chemicals are linked to testicular cancer was, I believe, the connection they were making. Um, but they, you know, there's a whole host of legislation right now. Uh, PFAS and pesticides. Um, we're, of course, strongly advocating for the House to take up the ban on PFAS and personal care products, textiles, and turf, and hope that starts getting some attention soon in the House. So, you know, a lot of, lot of fun around the State House this week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just another, another week. Yeah, um, another day, another <laughs> We did, uh, we, we are expecting the PFAS to be taken up in the House side, I think, this month, I think, is what was hopefully, is yep. hopefully the case. Yep. Uh, but looking just at the week ahead, uh, the Climate Superfund Act is expected to be taken up. Uh, what else is on the horizon this week? Yeah, the new one will be if we uh, start that conversation in the Senate Judiciary Committee around um, holding fossil fuel companies accountable through a climate super fund. Um, We're also we could start seeing some of the um, first votes on bills like the resilience bill, um, maybe Act 250 out of the Senate Economic Development Committee uh, and kind of housing policy more broadly. Uh, And then. The last piece that we might see some action on is the Renewable Energy Standard Reform. So that's been in the House Environment and Energy Committee. And um, I am have a conversation with Representative Dara Tory to, uh, from that committee to learn more about where that stands and what that policy is hoping to achieve. So we can go listen to that now. Perfect. All right. I am here with Representative Dara Tory of Moortown, who serves on the House Committee on Environment and Energy. We are talking about the bill to reform the renewable energy standard and expand on Vermont's renewable energy standard. So could you tell us a little bit, Rep Tory, about what the bill entails? Absolutely, Justin. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, welcome back. Yes, I always love talking with you folks. Um, about the good work that we have going on in my committee. So, um, yes, the Renewable Energy Standard is being updated in a bill called, uh, numbered H289. And what's really exciting about it is it's going to increase our ambition around deploying renewables in the state. Um, And it's doing so in a very collaborative way, because I don't know if you recall, but a um, 14-member working group has been putting their heads together um, starting in the summer and um, includes all the utilities in the state and um, stakeholders of all kinds, environmentalists, um, affordable housing advocates, and really like um, figuring out how do we add the ambition, so go from our current goal of 75% by 2032 up to 100%. by 2030, ideally. So um, that's an acceleration in the rate. And um, what was interesting coming out of the working group was a study, uh, a report, and it really showed that our utilities are not all in the same place. You may know that three of our utilities are already at 100%, um, including my own, uh, Washington Electric Co-op. So they have um, different ground to cover. So this bill really um, reflects that diversity 
in our electric utility providers. Um, and it's trying to provide as flexible a pathway as possible to those providers so that they can procure more renewable energy from in-state sources. They're gonna double the amount from in-state uh, while also a new category, a new tier it has been added for um, procuring from regional resources. And um, the exciting thing is they're gonna try to do it affordably. So that's the other reason for the flexibility. Um, there is, um, a, it's, historically there's been a somewhat of a upward rate pressure, they call it, um, from following the renewable energy standard. I, I looked at the report for last year. The, um, the Department of Public Service prepares a report every year for the legislature that details like how well did we do in meeting our renewable energy standard um, compliance and it looks at all the utilities um, and it kind of says how much did we save in terms of emissions? Um, did it cost more incrementally over what it would have cost if we didn't procure those resources? Um, and I think it said last year that it was a 1% estimate for the increase. But then you think about all the other benefits that we get from having um, in-state and clean um, generation. So um, that's kind of a sticking point, because I'm sure you want to hear about some <laughs> sticking points, um, is figuring out uh, how much is this more ambitious um, target really going to cost us. And the Department of Public Service has done their own modeling. Um, doesn't line up perfectly with the way the bill is kind of coming together, so it's hard for us to say that their numbers are really accurate, but it's somewhere in the... They're saying it's somewhere from 3 to 5% more that we could see in rates um, that people are paying for electricity as a result of going out to the market or producing um, this cleaner renewable energy. And by that, of course, we mean solar, wind, and small hydro. That's another important piece because I know in this state there's been quite a lot of discussion about large hydro and the um, concerns about what happens environmentally from Hydro-Quebec and things like that. So this bill defines renewables in a different way. Um, it, it, uh, it defines it to pretty much exclude any new large hydro, and it would also exclude any uh, new biomass generation um, from counting as renewable. So it doesn't mean that utilities can't source what they need to source, um, but they won't be able to get credit for mm. the renewable purchases. So. Um, that's one point of contention actually with the Department of Public Service because they are proposing instead that um, Vermont pursue a clean energy standard and that would define um, clean as including nuclear. So hmm. I know that's been a debate. Yeah. <laughs> that's definitely a debate in the state. So um, just one other sticking point too that we're kind of working through and that is... Um, the elimination of off-site group net metering. So I don't know if that means anything to you um, right off the bat, but, but basically it's, it's those community solar arrays where um, the, the generation's just happening out in a field somewhere and the electrons are just going onto the grid versus on-site group net metering, which is where you would have like a school would have an array and they would be using that power and so the utilities um, 
collectively said that you know the off-site model is just too expensive. They can get as much solar on for cheaper than that particular setup can offer. So that all sounded reasonable to me. Um, I know that net metering is a life stage in how we um, finance renewables and that it will, will eventually be replaced by something else. But um, the sticking point on this is that there's some really great affordable housing projects in the pipeline right now. And they, you know, to make the operational costs of the building affordable for their tenants and to play their part in, you know, reducing emissions, they, they kind of priced it all out with having offsite solar in mind um, at the net metered rate. So we're working on how to not stymie our affordable housing in any way because it's so critical. Um, so that's, that's kind of ongoing right now. But I feel like once we get our hands around those, those two things, um, we should be in pretty good shape. We've done a lot of work with our legislative council um, and the Public Utilities Commission uh, weighing in on the language of the bill because it is a little, it's a little wonky. Um, and it has these different descriptions for the different types of utilities. Um, so, you know, there's been a fair amount of just taking in comments and language changes. Um, and then, of course, um, one last doozy that came from the Department of Public Service was um, some potential rewrites of other parts of the statute, um, housekeeping kind of stuff. Um, so that I'm not sure whether we'll have the bandwidth to take that on or not. We'll see. But um, it's been a great process, and it, it feels really good to be back in committee doing something so important. You know, everybody knows more renewables is a good idea. Um, and to have had so much good stakeholder work done while we were off out of session <laughs> um, really just set us up for a nice start on this bill. Yes, we need to have more renewables for our grid for sure as we yeah. as we work to electrify and make Vermonters more, more, have more renewable sources of the cars we drive. Um, yes. if, if they're using electricity, they should be coming from uh, from better sources than natural gas, for instance. Absolutely. So, um, Dara, what else um, is your committee working on? And is this bill seeing its way out of committee soon? It could. You know, just those two kind of areas are, are needing to get smoothed out. Um, I hope it does get moved through because um, it does have a couple money committees to go to. It okay. needs to go to Ways and Means and it needs to go to Appropriations. Um, and we also have our hands full with the um, Act 250 modernization, which was mm -hmm. the result of another really impressive <laughs> stakeholder working group over the summer. So we've been taking a lot of testimony on that. And, um, you know, we just, there's a, the resilience bills hanging out there. There's just so much. Yeah, you've been busy. Yeah, very busy. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your work and for coming back on the podcast to talk about the Renewable Energy Standard. Appreciate My pleasure. your time. Yeah, right. anytime. Take care. Bye. And now it's time for my interview with Senator Ginny Lyons and Representative Esme Cole. Senator Lyons is a Democrat representing the Chittenden Southeast District, which includes the South End of Burlington, the communities of Shelburne, Charlotte, Hinesburg, South Burlington, Richmond, Bolton, Jericho, Underhill, and Williston, 
the latter in which she resides. She was first elected in 2000 and has served in the Senate ever since. She chaired the Senate Committee on Natural Resources and Energy between 2003 and 2013, guiding Vermont's early response to climate change, renewable energy development, stormwater protection, land use planning, and reduction of toxic substances. She currently serves on the Senate Committee on Appropriations and is the chair of the Senate Committee on Health and Welfare. Representative Cole is a Democrat representing her hometown of Hartford in the Windsor 6th District. Prior to serving, she's worked with Vermont Department of Health, managed a nonprofit early childhood education center, and worked in operations for a social change nonprofit. Currently, she provides grant writing support for community development projects. She is a member of the Hartford Energy Commission and was elected to serve in the House of Representatives in 2022 and serves on the House Committee on Agriculture, Food Resiliency, and Forestry. Senator Lyons has a lifetime environmental voting score of 99%, while Representative Cole holds a 100% going to start with Senator Lyons. So you've served in the Vermont Senate since 2001. What inspired you to seek office in the first place? That's a great question. Uh, I was asked by both the Democratic and Republican Party to, to run for the Senate. And I looked at the platform for each party and decided that uh, I would run as a Democrat. My Certainly my values are there. That's proven to be the perfect decisions. I was asked by um, Jean Ankeny, a former senator, and then also um, there was a, another person who was in the Republican Party asked me. To, um, yeah. Did you have any, um, did, did it take a lot of consideration or was it just simply that you were asked and you said, yeah, let's do this? Well, no, I gave it consideration. It, it, I was chair of my select board for 10 years and or about that. I don't know exactly how many years. And uh, so I was very much involved in decision making at the community level and working in, through some very difficult problems in the town of Williston. But when I was asked to run for the Senate, I wasn't certain what it would hold for me. And um, but I did decide that it would be something good to do and carry some of the policy, um, you know, work on policies at the state level. Uh, yeah, and my background in as a biology professor reinforced my interests in coming to the summit. Great. And so, you know, you mentioned before we started recording that. Um, Ageism is certainly prevalent, um, but I'm curious, have, what have you experienced as far as, you know, any misogyny or, or ageism, either on the campaign trail or in the building while serving? Any, anything you can share with us? Uh, you know, I think I have been very fortunate to work so well with a variety of people that um, the misogyny I haven't felt at all in the Senate. And ageism is something I think that has become a part of our culture in Vermont, where we're looking for younger workers to move into the state and that whole conversation where we want to make sure we have young people in the state, that carries a message to those of us who are getting older. Uh, When I entered the Senate, I I feel that I was quite young and um, 
And, and so I understand the energy and enthusiasm that younger people bring into a new environment. But I'm also very concerned that um, we not lose the experience and the knowledge that is here. And most importantly, that we respect the institution. So for us, uh, for some of us who are a little older, uh, perhaps, we recognize the, the honor uh, to be here uh, and kind of the, I don't know what you call it, the ceremonial nature of uh, Senate work and legislative work. I think that's really very important. So um, ageism, sure, you know, I think those of us who are older, who are in the House or in the Senate, uh, sometimes feel that we're less valued, uh, and that's too bad. I think that is part of who we are culturally and as a society. We, if we do a comparative analysis with other countries, we'll find that there's a little more respect and honoring of older folks. There's no reason to think that a young person coming in and staying in uh, as an elected fish official for a long period of time is, is going to be different from someone who's a young person coming in and staying for a long period of time. So we, we all get older, we gain experience, and hopefully we work well together. So I don't know if I've answered your question, but there's certainly um, there's certainly some confusing attitudes, I think, in the in the building and in the state. I've never had a sense that my constituents were unhappy with my work as a result of my being an older citizen. Yeah, how has how has serving or campaigning changed for you over the course of your career? It's been you know over two decades, so. You know, you've seen there's been a lot of changes in the world in, in the two decades. How has it how has it changed for you? Well, let's put it this way. When I first came into the Senate, I was carrying around some um, professional journals or biological journals, journal articles and thinking that they would drive the decision making, that that type of data would be critically important. And then I learned very quickly that it's a very slow process. Uh, to write legislation and influence legislation. That, and, and then just getting your feet on the ground in terms of how to negotiate uh, relationships is critically important. Uh, those, you know, I feel that that's been, that's been a real fun part about being in the Senate is working with others, regardless of age or experience or par political party. So my... Uh, you know, I don't know that my perception of being in the Senate changed. It grew. I didn't know what it was going to be like. So uh, it's been a developmental process. The, the whole process of confronting Irene, the process of confronting COVID, have been very uh, powerful in, in our work. The process of confronting um changes for, for single-sex marriage, for social changes, has been very powerful. And I feel that I've had some effect in that area, in particular on, you know, reproductive biology and taking some of my 
own values and putting those into legislation. So what have I seen change over time? It's been difficult to work. Uh, I think I've only been in one, well, Howard Dean's last term as a Democrat, and then with Peter Shumlin as a Democrat, and the, uh, the rest of the time I've been working within a Republican, Republican governor and Republican administration. And learning to collaborate uh, and cooperate has been, well, it's always been part of who I am, but I think it's been really critically important. Representative Cole, at 27, you are one of the youngest legislators serving Vermont, and you're in your first term. I'm curious what inspired you to seek the post, and was this something that you had thought about doing for a while? Thank you, Justin. Um, to answer your question, no, it's not something I've thought about for a while. Um, I was not expecting to find myself in this position, but I am eternally grateful to be here um, today in the House. I um, was encouraged by my peer uh, representative or Senator Becca White. At the time, she was a representative and um, was hoping to go for the Senate and needed someone to take her place. And I was honored to be um, one of her uh, selected candidates to, to try to fill that seat. Uh, because of the ways we've engaged in our community in Hartford together. That's amazing. Have you have you experienced any misogyny or ageism yourself, either you know while you were campaigning or or inside the building? Yeah, I find it so fascinating that you know this technically the topic of this discussion is age and um, generational gaps in the state house, um, but that we're bringing in other identities because none of us exist in a vacuum. And I do think it's critical that, you know, we aren't just someone who is, you know, the age we are, we're also, you know, our gender identity and we're our economic status that we happen to fall into. And I don't think that um, I could talk about how people have treated me from the perception of my age without also talking about my gender too. It was really, it was fantastic to hear that Senator Lyons did not feel that played a role um, in her experience, which is wonderful. Um, but I do believe that the combination um, of my identity as a female presenting person and a young person have exacerbated certain stereotypes that other people who have been in this space longer than I have and who hold different identities than I do, um, the way they speak to me or the way they hear the things that I have to say. Um, and I have some interesting anecdotes. <laughs> of times when I've experienced that. Um, but yes, I do feel like that has played a role in my journey thus far. Yeah, do you think it's, is it tough to serve in your 20s? Is it is it a hard, is that a hard um, time in your life to also be holding this type of, this type of role that comes with so much responsibility? It is tough, um, It, <laughs> but it's also, you know, it's beautiful too. Um, I mean, it's, you know, I've heard people say that in your first term, it's like having a master's degree, the amount you learn, you know, in this two-year process. And I do feel like I have learned so very much in such a short period of time, which is fantastic. And I think it's making me a better legislator as time goes on. So someone like Senator Lyons <laughs> has built on this, this education for a while. So she maybe has 
however many, 12, 20 master's degrees. <laughs> well, maybe not that many, but <laughs> to, that, to that extent. So, so yeah, so the learning curve and, and the fact that it is such a um, relationship-dependent job more than probably most other jobs that exist out there on Indeed, <laughs> um, you know, that those take time. Trust building, that takes time. Understanding how to navigate this building, that takes time too. So, um, so that's been a process. And I do, you know, as time goes on, I feel a little bit more comfortable there and, you know, knowing um, how to best allocate my energy to get, you know, the jobs done that I think align best with my values and what I'm trying to achieve here in this position I have. Um, I will add too that, um, you know, given our intersectionalities of identity, um, economic status also plays a role um, in how difficult it can or doesn't have to be to serve in the legislature. And um, I'm one of those legislators that, you know, has to hold three jobs at the time of also occupying this position. So, you know, I'll start in the morning working at a storefront in my hometown in White River Junction. During the day, I'll try to squeeze in legislative meetings um, and, you know, constituent communications and um, other legislative work. And then at night, I'll serve at a restaurant. Um, and so I try to pack in like three and one in one day, um, most days. And I think um, there are times when this has been most eye-opening that I, that not everyone is in the same position um, that I am, <laughs> especially when I went to a fundraiser, which was in Norwich, Vermont. And it was a, you know, it was a cool event um, at someone's house that was so very glamorous and decadent and, you know, obviously, you know, they were able to host this fundraiser and they invited the secretary of state and the treasurer and the speaker and the majority leader. And so I was all dressed up to go to this fundraising event um, at around 6 p.m. and hear from these people and, and be surrounded by so much wealth and power. Um, and then, you know, just an hour or two later, I changed into my dirty clothes to go wash dishes at a restaurant. And then, you know, I look around the room and I'm like, I don't think anyone else is doing this. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, maybe, I mean, so, yeah. So, so, but yes, that was, I spoke too soon. Absolutely. Other people are doing this. Um, and, but I do think that there is, not everybody is. And I think um, that's okay. But I do think we need a diversity of, of folks who understand what it's like to need to juggle those things to participate in this version of politics um, and the sacrifices we have to make. And I know everyone here makes sacrifices to be here. It's time, it's energy. Um, and for some people who are, you know, I would say I'm on the brink of being able to participate here due to my economic status, but, um, and given the fact that I don't have kids, you know, I'm, I'm not partnered. That's to have, a, you know, a partner can also increase someone's ease of participating here because you have support at home or owning a home. I don't, I don't have property um, and my, you know, housing situation is always kind of in flux. So, um, you know, these are all interesting factors that kind of intersect with the way we navigate the building um, that make it more or less difficult to participate. Yeah, Senator Lyons, with the average age of the legislative body going down slightly over the course of the several past bienniums, um, have you actually noticed the shift um, or is it just something you've been told and has it changed your experience at all? No, I certainly have noticed the shift. And uh, so there, there, the 
the younger age has been reflected through the some of the enthusiasm and the and the great perspective that um, younger Vermonters are bringing into the state house. It's been a it's been terrific, honestly. Um, but and listening to Esme, it reminds me of your question about have I you know what's what's changed for me during the process. So. Um, being chair of a select board, working full time, and also being in the Senate uh, was was stressful, and I did that. Um, I also worked full time and had kids, and there are stresses that are put on people, even though apparently it it may not be apparent. So we think of older people as being free and clear. You're retired. You don't. You know, no problem. Um, I haven't retired yet, so I, I won't know. Um, I have retired from teaching, but I haven't retired completely from the work that I'm doing. So I don't know what it's like to be retired. I've never had that freedom. In fact, in the years that I've been here in the Senate, I still haven't taken a vacation. So I don't know what a vacation's like. <laughs> so, you know, I can empathize with folks who are working two and three jobs to make ends meet or to keep their families whole. There's no question about it. But there is a different vibe that you get with um, with uh, in in the state house. And I think it it's as if, you know, my kids were here and they're all keeping me young. And, you know, we're all talking about things that are current and and exciting. So um, it's kind of neat. It is neat. But and as I said before, one of my concerns is that as we change, um, as we change and bring new folks in, that we continue to respect the, the decorum and the process that is so very much special. Absolutely, uh, Representative Cole, have you sought the wisdom in experienced lawmakers like Senator Lyons? Like you entered the legislature with a huge class, um, so I'm curious if there is more camaraderie with those that are coming in with you or, um, you know, are are there peers that you have particularly connected with? Yeah, I would say absolutely. I think um, it goes both ways. Like I've, I think we are prone to gravitate toward those with similar experiences um, to us, but that's, that's a trend that I think we should actively try to fight against. <laughs> as hard as it may be, especially when we're talking about, you know, reaching across the aisle or across, you know, age gaps, because we all bring such diversity, a diversity of perspectives. And, and that's really how we generate the best policy is by, you know, picking through, you know, what has worked for this group or what's not working for this group and making sure that we're taking all these factors into account um, so that we come to a consensus that serves everybody because we are a collective. And in this body, in theory, we should be representing, you know, folks from all walks of life. So um, yes, like taking the active measure to not just gravitate toward those, you know, for example, in my futures caucus, <laughs> which is technically legislators under 45, which is still a wide age age range. But, um, but I've absolutely benefited from the generosity and advice and um, wisdom of my peers who um, are my seniors and who I've served in this body far longer, um, especially within my committee, because that's where we do most of the day-to-day -day work. Um, but I, you know, continue to meet new people 
you know, even Senator Lyons, who I would <laughs> love to continue to get to know um, because I think we have so much to offer one another. Yeah, speaking of wisdom and, and what, what you can offer one another, Senator Lyons, what's one piece of advice that you would give uh, a younger person considering running for office? Well, that's a good question. Um, I think do it. Run for office. If you have an interest, there's something you're passionate about, you want to bring what you're working on to the state house, then you should do that. There's no no question about it. Um, the, I also believe that it doesn't matter. It's, you don't have to run for a statewide office or a district-wide office. You can run for a local office. And some of the most important experiences I think we gain are when we're sitting across the table from our our neighbors and making decisions about their welfare. And that's the most difficult thing that we ever do. So I'd say, get that experience in working with folks in your hometown and then bring it to the state house as you gain experiences. Doesn't mean you shouldn't run for the house or the Senate first, no, <laughs> but I think it's important um, when we make decisions in this building, we're not always facing the people who receive the consequences. We all, we see that when, when the vote takes place. But when we sit across the table, you know, at a select board or planning commission, we're we got our friends sitting around us, so and we have to we have to weigh the pros and the cons and look at the data and then live with folks after we make those decisions. That's a tough thing to do. Yeah, Representative Cole, uh, what what policies have you worked on this biennium that you're the most proud of? Uh, and could you share maybe with listeners your most recent, very epic Halloween costume? <laughs> that was a curveball, Justin. <laughs> I wasn't prepared for that one. Um, oh, oh, I know why you're asking this. I think you. <laughs> well, um, so in my my first session, I, I decided to not propose any new legislation. And I think that was with the understanding that I wanted to see where I fit in, in, in terms of my role and in, in navigating how I could be most effective. And I wanted to build off of the uh, legislation that, that was done years and years and years before I arrived um, and make sure that was as strong as it could be. Um, but in my second session, you know, having had that exposure in my first, I did identify a few gaps where I wanted to introduce new legislation. Um, and um, I guess to speak to the first, um, continuing the work that was done before me, I I took a lead role in the universal school meals bill, um, that piece of legislation, and that was a really proud moment to see um, the impact in real time today, the fact that that just happened last year. And, and today we are seeing you know, that policy, the policy's impact. Um, and it will continue to, you know, proceed for years to come. Uh, but in terms of new legislation, um, one bill, you know, relating to younger Vermonters in particular, um, is one that would um, prevent the Vermont State Colleges or, or publicly funded colleges um, from discriminating on in-state tuition solely based on immigration status. Um, and so, you know, allowing folks to pursue if they meet all the other criteria um, to be, you know, if they went to high school in Vermont, if they lived here at least three years, 
Um, but for whatever reason, lack a social security number, they still are treated, you know, the same as any other Vermont student who has um, grown up here in the acceptance process um, at our colleges. So I'm I'm excited to see where that bill goes. Um, and for your second question, I was an oil spill for Halloween. <laughs> and there's a that I I suppose that Halloween costume was inspired in part by um the Make Big Oil Pay campaign, which would establish a climate super fund um, based on uh, a fine issued to the top five polluters, the largest um, importers of fossil fuels into Vermont. Well, if you mind sharing a photo, I would love to be able to share it um, <laughs> maybe in the email when we send this out to our listeners. Um, but no pressure on that, of course. Uh, Senator Lyons, uh, when it's all said and done at the end of the day, and you're looking back on your career in Vermont politics, what will you say you are the most proud of? The single thing? Uh, I can't say that. There's too many things. That, to be quite honest with you, I, you know, I feel so good about the climate change work and building a renewable energy portfolio standard, putting in place our land use um, growth center and other regulations, putting in place a number of health and welfare initiatives, including um, trauma-informed programs, child care programs. Uh, that, that there's a lot that I've done that I feel very proud of and I'll continue to work on. We've got a long way to go. Um, Article 22 of the Constitution, which I really authored and stewarded through um, there's another constitutional amendment on uh, equal rights that I'm hoping will pass again this year or pass this year. So there's a lot. I feel good about my experience and the work that I've done. More importantly, I feel, uh, and, and probably should mention chemicals and uh, chemical, reducing chemicals in our consumer products and exposure uh, for kids and uh, Vermonters alike, stormwater protecting Lake Champlain. All of those things are so critical for the environment and public health. So I feel good about that work. There's much more we can do. Um, it's critical that we continue to work together on these things and to identify those goals that are important and reflect our values. Select board chair, like before I came into the Senate, and it was about Vermont values and how we need to have those reflected in our policies. But we can't do that alone because my values are not Esme's values. Some are. Or they may. <laughs> no, we don't know. There's overlap. So the only way the only way you can tell is by having that conversation. And sometimes conversations can get pretty darn difficult. That's a good thing because that allows for us to see our differences and then sort them out. So um the other thing I really enjoyed about my experience is that I have a lion suit. I don't have a, I don't have an oil spill. But when we when I run for um, office, as I will in the future, I have a, a lion suit and I have vol volunteers who wear it. I haven't worn it yet, but uh, it's a great suit and um, it it makes it makes campaigning fun and it makes politics fun. And we should all understand that ultimately, if we're not enjoying what we're doing, we shouldn't be doing it. 
Uh, so, and having kids understand the political process means, you know, having that costume on and letting and having their mothers circle the block a couple times so that uh, they can wave. Uh, that makes that makes uh, getting into the Senate, getting here, fun, and then understanding that working with people is 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 also an enjoyable experience. Well, I'm going to challenge you as well. I would love to see a photo of this lion suit. I don't know how I've never seen this before. And I don't know if I would fit into it, but I'm always game for a costume. Well, you mentioned, Senator Lyons, you mentioned, you know, still running and um, there's still more work to do. So I'm curious from both of you, though, um, in closing out our conversation today, what is on the horizon? Are you talking about the bill? Generally, yeah. A million bills. Mental health, substance use disorder, and, and sorting all that out in a way that uh, is going to stop stop the problem. Uh, we know social determinants of health are so critical. But one of the things that we're learning is that it takes a, it takes a community. We always know it takes a village. So putting in place the community support services that folks need, and making sure that they have the wraparound services that they need. Uh, when they have um, mental health issues or substance use disorder or co-occurring disorders, that's that's a huge priority for us, ensuring that we continue to work toward prevention and trauma-informed systems of care for our kids, ensuring that we eliminate um, toxic chemicals from products in the state, and the PFAS is forever with us. But So those are some of the things that we'll continue to work on. Um, there's a lot. Every day someone brings in a new topic and every day we learn something new and we work to improve the lives of our fellow Vermonters, whether it's for housing or food. It's an exciting place to be. I'm glad to hear that you're not slowing down. So good. Great. You're an important voice in the state house. Um, uh, Representative Cole, what about you? Yeah, I mean, I... I am almost shocked by the speed at which things are flying this session. <laughs> there are so many huge bills on the line right now. Um, we have, you know, health care bills, which Senator Lyons spoke to. And on the House side, I know there's a bill specifically relating to expanding access to Medicaid, which I'm quite intrigued by and think that would be so important, especially given the state of healthcare access in the United States. Um, a few, there's also really important energy bills on the line. Um, geothermal in particular is a bill that I've been working on quite a bit in my community in Hartford and doing some preliminary studies. And um, and it seems like a really powerful um, part of the solution to offering more sustainable and affordable energy options. Um, but Concordantly, we also have the Renewable Energy Standard update going on, and so I've been trying to pay close attention to that and ensure that we're not looking at these bills in silos, as is one problem that tends to occur in the legislature, and that um, we're thinking about the RES bill and particularly in relation to housing um, and in affordable housing. So I know um, I've been to the chagrin of, I think, some of my superiors, I've been raising hell <laughs> about one particular piece of um, the changes, which I think it does mostly incredible things, um, or, you know, in the direction of progress, important progress. But 
Um, I'm a little bit concerned about um, removing the um, offsite group net metering aspect of this bill, which would impact affordable housing um, agencies because a lot of their projects are utilizing that. And I know our mandate that we have promised to all our constituents this session has been to focus on housing um, and not, I mean, of course, housing in general, but more in particular, affordable housing, um, because that's the stuff that's not being built right now due to the market. Um, so those are two big ones. And then I'm on the Committee on Agriculture and Food Resiliency and Forestry. So we have some interesting bills there. We have the um, neonicotinoids bill on the wall that we've just started to hear testimony about. And I'm also one of my areas that I'm most passionate about is um, access to healthy food and food security. And so we've done some great work alongside the food bank and I'm going to continue to push, you know, I don't want to just, you know, for example, last year, you know, we passed universal school meals, but I don't want to say, okay, we did it. So the job is over. You know, I really want to keep pushing and making sure that the quality of those meals is improving and also that we're supporting local farmers um, and the health of our students in the process. So um, there's so much going on, but those are just a few of the things that come to the top of mind. Yeah. And if, and if your constituents will have you, will you be seeking another term? I plan on it at the moment. <laughs> yes. Though Great. my job situation is insecure in terms of how I will have income and healthcare outside of this. Um, and I don't know if everyone knows out there that we don't have a healthcare plan attached to this job. Um, so it's just something that I need to, to figure out, which is hard because we're so busy here in the state house, but just that's the state of the way we legislate here now in Vermont. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you both so much, truly. And thank you for serving our great state. And thanks for being on the podcast and talking about your experiences. I really, I really am so grateful. Thank you, Justin. Thank you, Justin. I'm looking forward to hearing it. I want to thank our guests, Senator Ginny Lyons, Representative Esme Cole, Representative Dara Torre, and of course, Lauren Hurl for assisting me. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe and give us a rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. Be sure to follow us on social media. On X, we are at VoteGreenVT, YouTube and Instagram at VT Conservation Voters, and you can find us on Facebook as well. You can subscribe to our emails, see our legislative environmental scorecard, and learn more about our work and policies by visiting VermontConservationVoters.org. Have an idea for a story or want to provide feedback? Simply email me and let me know. Next week, we will be back with another new episode. But until then, thank you for listening.